0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, begin a new series of messages today on the unstoppable you. And I'm going to be talking this morning about finishing well. Now, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary a couple of, I guess a couple of months ago now, six weeks ago. But actually, this is the Sunday that we would have started. And the reason why I, they want to have it in May, because more people, of course, would be here than in the summertime. But as I'm thinking through this, I understand that Many, many people have started well in life. They've gone through their life very, very well, and then they just did not finish well. I want to show you a a little NFL clip, and I could have played a lot of these for you because this has happened uh, more than one time. You know, they like to celebrate when they score a touchdown, and we're going to show this little clip, and I want to see if you can catch before the replay what really happened here. Let's roll that. Uh, why don't we, uh, that's all right, just, just cut it and I'll, I'll tell you about it, okay? I'll just tell you about it. Many times, in fact, this was a one with the Denver Broncos, and they were, uh, the guy dropped the ball before he got to the end zone. You've seen that in college football, you've seen in the NFL, a lot of different places, and they just don't finish what they start. Start celebrating early, whatever it is, they just don't finish. Most games are really won uh, in the fourth quarter. But recently, we've seen in our news people that have not finished well. Matt Lauer, uh, certainly NBC News for many, many years, an anchor, they're probably uh, their chief reporter, and he fell. And, uh, you know, really in shame, lost his job over some really indiscretions in his life. Then even in our denomination, we've had um, someone fall, be, moral failure in a leadership position. Another one more, more, more recently because he was, you know, at the very least, not politically correct in his speech and really going beyond that, uh, at least in times past, uh, really had to resign because he, had, he became a polarizing uh, person within the church. And so we have that going on. We have Tiger Woods, you know, trying to make a comeback. He, he was great, maybe the greatest golfer of all time, but now he's trying to finish well, and so, when we look at life and we start thinking about what we're most known for, we, we have to finish the race. We can't just stop in midstream. We can't hope that what we've done in the past is going to really carry us through the last few years of our life. Now, this is not a message just for older people. It really is, not the aging. Because all of us go through changes and change posts. We go from post to post really in our life. There are middle schoolers here. Hey, you want to finish well before you get to high school. High schoolers, you don't want to go through 11 and a half years of school and finish poorly and have to drop out or get expelled. No, you want to finish well. You want to finish well in college, you know, you could make all A's, make all kinds of dean's lists, but unless you finish the final year of your education, you haven't really finished. People go from job to job. They want to finish well. They want to leave something, a good impression on the company or the boss. And then when you get older, you go into retirement, and you want to finish well there as well. And so as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we find a man, Solomon, who has gone through it all. He's been there, done that. Now, Solomon was the uh, son of David, who was the uh, great king of Israel. Uh, Solomon became king when he was 18 years old, when his dad died. And the Bible says God came to him and said, look, I'm going to give you anything that you want. What do you want more than anything else? And he says, wisdom to run the country. And God said, because you didn't ask anything for yourself, to benefit yourself. I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you great riches and great knowledge and uh, great fame. And that's exactly what happened. And he got through a lot of his life. We don't know whether this is midlife later in years, but he was making some transitions in life. And we find out through the scriptures that he's really been there, done that, but he's dissatisfied with what's going on in his life. And so as this book, as this book unfolds, and we look at it, I want us to see three, th- three things this morning. One, you know, when you're trying to finish well, it helps to start good. It start, help, helps, helps to start well. And we'll look at that. It's important to see well, your perspective. And lastly, it's imperative that we strategize well for the final days and for those transition times. First of all, I want us to see that it, it does help to start well. In verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Remember also your Creator, Solomon says, in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, he's getting older, and he's bucking against getting older. He's not growing old gracefully. In fact, he calls it the evil days in his life. And it says, before you come to them, remember the days of your youth. Well, what were the days of Solomon's youth really like? Well, we look at chapter 1, all the way back to chapter 1, and here he talks about having done everything in his life. He, he's just really done it all. He says in verse uh, 2, he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, the vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, he calls himself the preacher, but we do know it was Solomon because of Uh, where the book was written and the fact that he was the son of David, served in Jerusalem, was the only one that was king of Jerusalem and the son of David at the same time. So we know that he wrote it, but he's saying here all is vanity. Now, many cults, many false religions have been started really out of the book of Ecclesiastes because it's difficult sometimes to to take these verses in context. You have to read the whole book. He begins to talk about the things of this life in his youth that did not go well. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes to the north, round and round it goes the wind, and it circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is never full. And he goes on and on and talk about this, and he says, look, I've done there, I've been there, I've done all these things. What things? Well, somebody says, you know, if I just had fill in the blank, well, if I just had that one thing, I'd really be joyful and happy in life. Well, let's look at the life of Solomon, because if we look at mirror his life, we understand that most of us not, have not had the opportunities that he had. He says in chapter two, he said, I tried pleasure. I just surrounded myself with pleasure. And he said that that is vanity. It's worthless. It's empty. Then in chapter 2, he also talks about work. He said, the next thing I did was just immersed myself in work. And he says, I became a workaholic, and it did not satisfy. It was vanity of vanities. We find out he surrounded himself with wealth. Not only did he become a rich man, but then he, he wanted more. <clears throat> and so he taxed the people uh, in an unmerciful type of way to gain wealth for himself. That, too, is vanity. He says, I've, I've tried it all. He says, wisdom, again in chapter two. So what I did tried to do, I tried to study. If I thought if I could study philosophy, if I could understand man, if I could understand the world and gain all this knowledge, then I would really be satisfied. But he says, this too is vanity. Finally, he just said, you know, I'm just going to not care. I'm just not going to care. I'm not going to have a care of the world. I'm not going to worry about really counting in life. I'm not going to worry about doing anything in life. And it's called apathy. He says, I've tried that. That too is vain. And so he's saying here to you, don't try those things. Start out well. Start out good in your life. Now, we understand that um, you can always, the game is really won in the fourth quarter. I mean, it really is, or the ninth inning. And we know that, but yet you, you and I have seen, say, Super Bowls before, where one team for the first three quarters just run away with the game. And they start celebrating early and they start coasting a little bit. Hey, everything's fine. They don't, they, they kept, they keep going. They put their subs in and they, they try real hard because they want to do good in the Super Bowl. And so they keep going, keep going, keep going. But basically they're kind of holding on. They, they know they have the game won. It's a lot easier to win the game in the fourth quarter that way than it is to try to make the big comeback that we've seen in recent Super Bowls and recent championship games. It's just easier. And so, why don't you just start out simply well? Robert Clinton, in one of his books, Leadership, on Leadership, says there are stages of success in leadership in a person's life. And he says, Birth to 18 is the early stage. That's, you, got, you, you don't have much freedom, low freedom, you're learning a lot, going to school. Uh, low production. What I mean by that is that you just don't have the opportunity. You're, you're doing more training, very little production. Uh, 18 to 30, it's kind of like an apprenticeship. You know, you know a lot, you've learned a lot, you're working more than, you, than, than you're going to school, that's for sure. But at the same time, you are, you are gaining experience, gaining knowledge, building a foundation for the future. Then he says 31 to 40 is preparation time. You really are producing but you're still learning and you really haven't hit your stride. Then he says, basically 40 to 65 are your production years. And then if you do well at 65, that's the afterglow. That's the time you go on the cruises, you know, and uh, don't laugh. We were the youngest people on our cruise, I think, in the whole place by, by several years. But he says, look, you need to start off with a good beginning. It's not, it's not absolutely positively Necessary, but you're gonna suffer a lot if you don't. He says, Look how I've suffered. I've I've gone through this and this and this and this, and, and I've just become angry in my life because nothing really satisfies in life. Wherever you are, start today, but begin young, and you don't have to worry about suffering because of the wrongdoing in your life. Secondly, it's important to see well. In chapter 12. Uh, turn back there in our passage. In chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, look, I, I hate getting older. Then he begins to describe what it's like to get old. And he says, look, basically he's saying things change all the time. My body's changing, my, my mind's changing, the world around me's changing. The world has changed. Uh, the generation that's living right now, say, if you're uh, 90 years old, my dad has turned 90 years old recently, back last month, And he's seen more changes in his generation than all the other generations, uh, maybe combined, but certainly any other generation in history, the history of mankind. In fact, how many of you here even remember the eight track? Do you know what that is? No, it's not a wooden track that you go around a go-kart, it's this, and this, let's put that back up, okay? I missed it. This is uh, Three Dog Night. How many of you remember that group? three dog now. Oh, there's a few of you here. Well, this is one of their eight tracks. Well, you know, then it went to cassettes and then it went to, uh, you know, CDs. And now you just download it. You don't even need anything. You just download the song. And so things have changed in life. The first phone I ever had, uh, had a suitcase with it. That's that's something like, a matter of fact, mine was not that quite, quite advanced, is that you had to plug it into the car, had to keep it there, and when you left it, battery had to be charged, and you put it in a, a case, you, you put, you had a strap that goes over your neck and your shoulder, and you carried that thing around like a briefcase. First phone I ever had was that, well, we, we on staff just thought we were something, carrying around that big old phone. Well, now, you can have a little phone, and not only do you have a phone, but your, your, uh, all your computer stuff is on there as well. And so he's just simply saying, things change all around you. But he says, you've got to realize things are changing inside as well. You have to keep that in perspective. He says in, uh, in verse 2, Before the sun and the, and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. He says, make most of your time. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent. It's simply saying here, it talks about your legs going. When you get older, your legs go, your knees go. The grinders cease because they are few. It's talking about your teeth. The grinders are few. Thank, thankfully, we have better dentists today, and so we don't face that quite as bad as we used to. And those who look through the windows are dim. That's your eyes. Your eyes go. Uh, Some of you have not worn glasses your entire life, and then suddenly you have to start wearing them because it's called bifocals, and you can't see up close at all. He says, the windows are dim, and the doors of the street are shut. And when the sound of the grinding is low, he says, and one rises up at the sound of the bird. He's simply saying here, he can't sleep. I mean, there's, there's senior adults today that will tell you they can't sleep. They've got all the time in the world to sleep, and they can't do it. They wanted to sleep all their life. They wanted to not get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. But now they, they just simply have a hard time sleeping. And the daughters of a song are low. They are afraid of what is high. They're afraid of falling. Terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The gray, you know, gray hair comes. The grasshopper drives itself along. You, you have trouble getting around, walking, stretching out. And desire fails. You can't reproduce. Because man is going into his eternal home, and the mourners go uh, about the streets. He says, do something before you die, before the silver cord is snapped. Uh, we, they didn't know what strokes were back then, but that's what it describes. And the golden bowl is broken, and the, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, and the wheel broken at the cistern. The, the wheel is the heart. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God and gave it vanity of vanity, says the preacher all is vanity. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, in my wise estimation, Solomon says, would say, life is short. You better make it count, better live for the right things. And life is short. And life is measured by time. I remember when Pam and I came here, my kids were nine, seven, and three. Two boys, youngest one was a girl, is a girl, we have, a, we have a son, One of that, that middle one is now over in England. He has three children. They're nine, a boy nine, a boy seven, and a little girl three. Same exact ages as they were when we came here 25 years ago. Time passes. Time. How is life measured? It is measured by time. And Solomon's saying, no matter how much money I have, no matter how many experiences I have, I can't Buy the time back. And I can't buy more of it. Ephesians tells us, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. 86,400 seconds per day, everybody gets the same amount. How are you going to spend them? Or are you going to invest them? Or just simply spend them? Psalm 90 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Number of your days. If I, you know, so many years, if I, I do the kind of years of, of preaching and ministering and pastoring, I have about 3,276 days left, left to pastor. Count your days. I've, I've shared with you before that about the clock illustration. If, the, if life was a clock, okay, at 6 a.m., you're 20 years old. If you're 40 years old today, it's high noon. And if you're 60 years old, it's 6 p.m. at night. And this is not daylight savings time, okay, we're talking about. It's 6 p.m. It's, it's getting dark. You have just so many years to get it done. And so we have, we have a testimony of somebody that says, hey, begin now. Begin just as soon as you can. Because life is short. And you better make it count for the things that you really want to be remembered for. And he's saying at the end of this in verse 12, verse 13, the end of the matter. Now, here's a man that's experienced it. You don't have the money that he had. You don't have the opportunities and pleasures that he had. You don't have the influence that he had. You you are not the wisest guy in the world. You're not the person who has unlimited amount of time to read stuff. But he has. And he's saying to you this, the end of it, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's how he concludes. Now, if you are here today and you have a prodigal, a lost uh, son or daughter that's gone away from God, this is hope for you. Solomon's gone away from God, and now later in his years, maybe it's maybe it's halftime for him. Maybe he's in the, going through a midlife crisis. Maybe it's the end of his life. We really don't know. But he's saying, look, I've been there, and I'm telling you, God's the way to go. He has the only answers to life. And so what do we, where, how do we proceed? What's the imperative that we strategize? We need a plan. Now, I'm going to give you five things, and during the next few weeks, I'm not going to go back over these, these five things, but we are going to be hitting on them just a little bit, coming back to some of them. I'm going to give you five things on how to get started According to I believe from this passage, first of all, first of all, as we look at the, we have to have, we have to ask ourselves the question: What is our passion? What is the most important thing in our life? Look in verse nine. He said, "Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care." One of the things that he wanted to do at the end of his life is write Proverbs. And most of the Proverbs that we have right here in the Bible are from Solomon. Solomon's wisdom. He says The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd, one shepherd being Christ himself, but he says, what is this? A goad and a nail. What, what is that? Well, a goad is something you prod cattle with. He says the word of God, truth, is going to prod us. Prod us to seek more truth. Prod us to read the Bible. Prod us to want to, to enter a worship service and learn the word of God in a deeper level. It's going to prod us, and then we're going to discover truth. Maybe you, you're going to discover one truth that you're going your to hang your hat on today. Hang your life on. A nail. You see, not only is a goad, but it's a nail to hang truth on in your life. So you discover something great, something from the Word of God. You say, I can hang my hat on that. I can, I can hang. That's a value of my life. I want to get in, into my life. And that's what Solomon's saying. You, you goad people with the Word of God. Then they want the Word of God more. They want the truth more. And they learn something that's true for them that day, and they hang their head on it. He says to us, my son beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. And I know all of our middle schoolers love that one. All study, Much study is weariness to the flesh. What's it saying here? It said, you can study like I did, philosophies of the world. Philosophy just simply means the study of life apart from God. If you don't believe in, and you know, I know that's a simplistic definition, but when you throw God, you say, well, this is uh, uh, Christian philosophy. Well, then what you're talking about is theology. You're, taught, you're studying about God now, and it becomes theology. Philosophy is how you look at life and, and the philosophies of life and different outlooks of life apart from God. He says, that's just weariness. He says, the truth is in the Bible. You don't have to look any, any, any further than the truth that God provides, that one shepherd provides. And so what do we need? We need to know what we're about. I love the story that Bob Buford tells in his book, Half Time. Bob Buford has made a lot of money, and he's a Christian man, made a lot of money through movies, through movie industry, and other places as well. And he came to a place in his life where he wanted to move from success to significance, another stage of his life. And he teaches in the book, before you finish one curve, start another. Before you finish, before something runs out in your life, like, for example, uh, you know, retirement, then, then start something that you're going to do into retirement before you retire. That's what he's talking about. That's what he was doing. And so somebody says, well, you know what you want to do, Bob, is get this guy, Michael Cami. He heard of him. He said, he's the guy that can tell you and, and what you need to do and make a plan for your future. Well, Michael Cammie was the same one that Coca-Cola called on years and years ago about their Coca-Cola product. Pepsi was kind of catching up with them a little bit, in fact, a lot. And they were looking at their formula of Coca-Cola, and they did a taste test. They found out that uh, the, the new product that they had developed was better tasting than the old one. And so Michael Cami asked the Coca-Cola company, "What you know? If I if I were to give you a box, and you would say I'm going to put one thing in the box, the thing that the Coca-Cola company is more about than any other thing, what would it be?" And they thought and they thought, and I don't know if they took days to do it, but they came back with the answer: great taste. It's what it's all about, great taste. He said, well, then you need to go with the new Coke. And so they marketed the thing. They, they crammed it down everybody's throats, and nobody wanted it. They wanted the old Coca-Cola. And so it was a marketing, marketing debacle. They came back to Michael, came and said, you failed us. He said, I didn't, I didn't fail you. You just didn't tell me the correct thing that was in the box. You told me what you thought it was, but what's really the most important thing about Coca-Cola. What does it really stand for? So they thought for a moment and they came back with the answer, American tradition. You know, messing around with Coca-Cola is like messing around with baseball and apple pie. And so they went back to the old Coke and for a long time, they had the old Coke and the new Coke and the old Coke and the new. Finally, the new Coke just went by. and If you want to taste new Coke, go buy you a Pepsi-Cola, you know, or something. I don't know. But that was in the box. And so he told Bob Buford, he said, now, I see what you want to accomplish in your, in your next phase of life. I see it. But you've got two conflicting things going on here. You've got Jesus Christ and you have money, making money, and then Jesus Christ. What's in the box? If you had one thing and you can only get one thing in the box, the thing that you're about, the thing that's going to guide your life. It's either got to be money or Jesus Christ because you two can't go in there. Because any of that time two things go in the box, they conflict. They always conflict. So he thought for a, just a moment, and he said, I had to say Jesus Christ. The guy wasn't a believer. You know? I had, and he said, when I said Jesus Christ, put Jesus in the box. He said, he said, for that moment on, my life changed. He said, I, I felt like I was a good believer before, a follower of Christ, but I was conflicted a little bit. I didn't do anything unethically, but I just was conflicted about where my priorities and passions were. But when I told him Jesus Christ, I declared myself openly and he made a plan for me to be significant for Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. And I've used my money in order to make that and my time in order to make that happen. So what's in the box? What's in the box for you? And you say, well, you know, I'm, oh, it's Jesus. Well, is it? Or is it money? How much is going to be enough? When are you going to start giving some of it away? In fact, some, some of us feel like our time and money are so valuable, we can't give it away to anybody else. But we don't, what we don't understand, when we give it away to somebody else, time, money, whatever, our talents, we give it away to somebody else, God blesses us with more. You want God's blessing or do you want what you can do? What about fame? Not what it's cracked up to be. Other gods are going to leave you empty. You know, I don't know how many of you, I've never been to the dog track myself. I know there's one locally here, but I've seen them on television. And what they'll do, they'll, I think they come out with some kind of motorized vehicle and they have like something hanging on like a rabbit, like a rabbit and hanging on it. And the dogs chase the rabbit around the track. And that's how they get them to run. Well, one day there was a malfunction in the, this little contraption and uh, the dogs caught the rabbit and it, you can see it on film they don't know what to do with it they start biting at themselves sniffing at themselves they don't know what to do with the rabbit they caught, they've been seeking out this rabbit no, no matter how many years no telling how many years and they caught the rabbit and now so what so what uh, how many people have gone through life and they've accomplished everything they want to accomplish? They look back on it and say, "So what? It didn't mean anything." Fame? Hey, you'd like to go into a, a, a restaurant somewhere and not be uh, and not be asked maybe for your autograph if you're famous. Money? How much is enough? Success? How much more success do you need? How much more does your business have to grow to really satisfy you? No, you, you've been there. You've done that. You're just like Solomon. Whatever category that is, you're just like Solomon. You've caught the rabbit, and now you don't know what to do with it. A passion in life. How do you get We're going to talk about in, in the next couple of weeks, two weeks from today, on how to gain that passion in your life. And a lot of it has to do with simply being thankful for what God's done for you. And the more you're, you're thankful and the more you're prodded, uh, goaded to be thankful and you read the Word of God and you say, God, I'm, I'm just going to seek after you even though I, I'm not doing this because I love you. I'm just doing it because I know that it's what I need to do and I know it'll take care of itself. And all of a sudden you're prodded, you want the Bible more. You want church more. You hang your hat on certain truths in your life more. And it builds that passion in your life. But sometimes you just need to come to a point and say, what's going to go in the box? Am I going to be deliberate about this? What is in the box? What's the most important thing, the thing that I'm going to be known for more than anything, the thing that I'm living for more than anything else? Which brings us to the next thing, very quickly, priorities. What do you want to be remembered for? What are you living for? Is what Jesus, uh, what what you're living for, worth Jesus dying for? Solomon <clears throat> was led by his desires, pulled him further away from God. He had no discipline in his life, in priorities. But your priorities are going to be led by your passions. I can tell you what your passions are in life. I can tell you what's in the box, but it's by listening to you, by talking to you for a little while what you're passionate about, what you're worried about, what's bothering you, maybe in your life. There's only a a few times, you know, people say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm just kind of discouraged about things. I'm just kind of discouraged. We all get discouraged, by the way. And and if you're just discouraged for a few hours, that's just human, it's human emotion. But I can think of only one time in my life, if, if Jesus is in my box, and that's who it is. I can only think of one time in my life where I was justifiably discouraged. Justifiably. And that was when I was back in college, and I felt like the Spirit of God had withdrawn from me, and and He had in some ways, because He wanted to teach me not to live by emotion, He wanted to teach me to live by the Word of God. And I was living on emotion, just getting excited about Jesus. There was more to it than that. But otherwise, I can go back on the times I was discouraged. it could be family, it could be church, it could be uh, health, it could be all kinds of things. That's what was in the box. You see, the only time I can be discouraged if, if suddenly Jesus died, and he's not going to die, he's already died once, for your sins. And he rose again on the third day. If Jesus ceased to exist, if he ceased to be God, I'd have every reason to be discouraged. But if something else is in the box, that's the reason my priorities aren't there. And that's the reason I'm discouraged. Number three, it's not only who and it's what, but it's how. How are you going to live? Purity. He says to fear God and keep His commandments. And I I can go on a whole sermon about this, but I won't. But we have something today called, well, I just want to get free. Man, if I can just get free. You know, Jesus set you free, and he will. The truth shall set you free. Jesus said that about himself, and, and he is the truth. But it's not freedom to do what we want to do. It's the freedom to do what we ought to do. See, God, Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins so we can just do anything we want to do and live for ourselves and not live for anybody else. So, whether, somewhere along the line, we've lost the holiness of life. George Varna, who surveys America and surveys the church, has come to the conclusion that the people inside the church live no differently from the people outside the church. And when you're doing that, Jesus is not in the box. Pleasure may be in the box. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not work. It's just what I want to do in life. And it doesn't matter if it really discourages or hurts someone else or, or causes somebody else to think something's right when it's not, and they get into it, and, and they have a hard time. You know, I'm just, I'm free in Jesus. So don't hit me with any legalisms. But he says here, keeping his commandments, that's not legalism. Legalism is when you add to the Bible, keeping his commandments, which is more than the big 10. is just simply obeying God. You have the freedom and the power to obey him. And if your passions right, your priorities are right, the purity is going to grow. Then you say, I got to pay a price. There's always a price to pay. Solomon had no discipline, unwilling to pay the price. And yet Aristotle has said, self-control is the hardest victory. And you and again, you always pay a price. You can go out. Most of you can go out right now and buy all kinds of stuff. Man, you've got $10,000 line of credit on your credit card. You've got 10,000 here. You can go out and buy a car. You can buy a big house. But guess what? Payday, you're going to have to pay for that. You know that, right? Sure. And that's why you don't do it, many of you, most of you. You don't don't max out yourself because you know you're not only going to have to pay for it, but interest as well. But if you save and then buy it, no interest to pay. So you pay the price. Either pay more later or less up front, and paying the price of having Christ as Lord of your life, self-control, discipline in life, to do what you ought to do, read the Word of God, yeah, go to church, come to church, and saying no to temptation. Rudyard Kipling has said this, if you do not get what you want, it's a sign that you either did not seriously want it, or that you tried to bargain over the price. Boy, isn't that true? Boy, how, how often we've tried to do that. You know, look, I, I know I need to read the Bible, but God's gonna really bless me, and I'm gonna get to know God without reading the Bible. I know I need to, I know I need to do that, I know I need to serve, I know, but you know, I've gotta do this and this and this, and God's gonna still, you know, it's just a shortcut. I, I'm the exception, it's all about the grace of God, I'm the exception, so you bargain over the price, And maybe you find yourself one day failing later in life like my friends have done and your friends have done and not finished well. Bargaining over the price. Kipling's right. Lastly, as I close, persistence. Just never quit. Solomon was still hanging in there. Listen, you you can't finish first until you finish. You've just got to finish the race. So what's in the box? You know, some of you this morning, wow, you're 20 years old or less. You've got your whole life ahead of you. Let me challenge you right now to put Jesus in the box. You're going to start well, and in the latter years, you're going to have an afterglow. If you're 40 years old and you think, I'm, 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 I'm halfway through the game, and, boy, nothing's really worked out. or Everything's worked out, and I'm not satisfied. But right now, you can be the person of the second half. If you're six years older, let me remind you, God can do more in your life in the next five minutes than you've been able to accomplish in the last five years. It's not over until it's completely over. Until it's done. Second half. Fourth quarter. Roy Riggers, Riggles, excuse me, was a defensive player for the California Golden Bears in the Rose Bowl of 1929 facing the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. There's only one score really in the first half. It was his. It seems that he was tackling a running back. They wrestled for that ball. He tore the ball out of his arms, the running back's arms, and began to run what he thought was a touchdown. But what the crowd was amazed by as the roar began to come up in that Rose Bowl, that Roy was running the wrong way. After that, he was known as Wrong Way Roy. <laughs> I almost forgot the name. Ron, Wrong way, I can't even say it. Roy, you know, I've already said it. You know what I'm saying. He was in the locker room crying, embarrassed, Scoring for the other team, the coach gave everybody the pep talk. Hey, let's go out second half. And they left. He stood there. and He says, Coach, I'm not going out. I can't go out. I can't. I'm just too embarrassed. I just can't do it. I can't. I'm not playing. And he told this to Roy. He said, Roy, let me remind you, the game is only half over. And Riggles went out in the second half, blocked a punt, made a lot of big, big difference in his team. And I say to you, you're 40. The game's only half over. If you're 60, you're in the fourth quarter, and this is when the game is really concluded, where life is concluded. So what are you going to do? It all comes down to what's your passion? What's it about? What, what is, how do you describe finishing well in your life? How do you even describe that? It's described by who or what is in the box. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, I want to encourage you today that if you're young, you feel like you're young, you're, you're certainly less than 40, start today. Look into your heart and say, God, I want you in the box. I want you to be that place in my the core of my heart. If you're 40 or more, second half's there. Well, you can do great things in the second half. You can take the mistakes that you've made, learn from those mistakes, and you can set the woods on fire. Would you put Jesus in the box? If you're 60 or more, time is running low. And you may think, hey, I've already done it all. I've I've served in church. The best years, your wisdom and your experience can be used to bring about the very best years and the most impactful years of your life. Would you put Jesus in the box? Then if he tells you to spend the rest of your life on a cruise ship, if he tells you that, you go. God has a ministry there for you. Pam and I shared Christ with about eight or nine different people while we were on that cruise. They were asking questions. Hey, you never know. But let him tell you. Maybe you've never received Christ into your life. So this morning, I want to give you that opportunity, and I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Silently, as I pray aloud, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me. God, please forgive me of all my sins, both the things I've done and the things I've failed to do, but basically just not having you in that box. I pray that you'll come into my life. I pray that you'll come into my heart be the core value of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you look this way? This morning, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, I want to encourage you to take the little welcome card that was in your worship folder that you were told about, and we ask you to put your name on the front because at this time, we want you to turn the card over, and in the upper right-hand corner of that card, you will find, it says, my decision today. And the very first thing is, I've received Jesus Christ into my life. If you made that decision in your life, I want you to put a little check in that box, all right? Make sure it gets in the offering plate when it's passed here in just a few moments. And you may be saying, yeah, but I, I want to come to the altar. I, I need to pray. I, I need to end a service like this at the altar of God. Then we're going to ask you to come here in just a few moments. Or maybe you receive Christ but you're thinking to yourself, I'd rather talk to somebody right now. I don't want to leave here today. Just put a a, a check in a box and then leave. I want to talk to somebody. We're going to have ministers right here in the front. Guys, if y'all just come on on up so they can see you. You come to these guys and say, I've prayed that prayer with the pastor, or I'm interested more and more, finding out more about Christ. And we'll, we'll share with you right now. We'll talk to you in the next few minutes. But the altar is open. Would you come today and say, God, I'm declaring myself, it's not that I haven't been following Jesus before, but I'm like Bob Buford, you know, it's doing a lot of good stuff, but I'm just going to declare, if Michael Cammie was talking to me and said, what's in the box? I'm telling him, Jesus Christ is in the box. I'm declaring myself. The altar is open. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.